Well, we got to part three of the series, and just on that video that we just saw, we saw Mary and Elizabeth that we've already talked about. We talked about Mary and Joseph, sorry, Elizabeth and Zachariah. We talked about, we talked about Mary and Joseph and uh, unexpected pregnancies. Then we talked last week about the shepherds and how an unexpected event happened in a dull and boring day like any others. And then suddenly God just came and just rocked their world. Well, today we're going to look at probably the final account of the Christmas story, what many people believe is the final account of the, of the Christmas story. But as we've looked so far, we centered on the birth of Jesus. We centered about on the hope, the joy, the peace, and the love that he brings to our lives and he brings to this world. You know, many people believe that this season it's all about family, it's all about friends, it's all about fun, it's all about eating way too much. And I think I've already put on like 10 pounds in the last two weeks. So I'm going on a strict diet in, in, the, uh, in the new year. But so many people think that this time is just all about that. For others, Christmas time can be a difficult time. It can remind them of a, of a difficult part of their life or a difficult time in their life or certain things. A lot of tragedies happen at Christmas time. And then a lot of people think about Christmas and that's all they can think about. But just for the next 20, 30 minutes or so, I want us just to uh, sit back and think about what the birth of this Christ child really means for you. What does it really mean for you? Christ can mean many things to many people. But when we look at all the meanings, it comes down to two categories. And I want us to look at what these two categories are today. And I want by the end of today us to go out of this place deciding which category are we in. So let's look at the final account of the Christmas story. And it's found in Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. I'm just going to read the account, and then we're going to look back over it. This is what it says. In Matthew chapter 2, it says, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men, or other translations say magi, from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem saying, Where is the newborn king or of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose in the east, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this. As was everyone else in Jerusalem, he called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you, and you will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you have found him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. After this interview, the wise men went their way, and the uh, the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. And they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. 
When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route. For God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. After the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, flee to Egypt with the child and his mother, the angel said. uh, Stay there until I return because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. That night, Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary, his mother, and they stayed there until Herod's death. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet, I called my son out of Egypt. Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. He sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old or younger, based on what the wise men's report of the stars first appearance. We see in this story, just in this last account of the Christmas story, we see two characters in this Christmas play. We have what is known as the wise men, or called magi as well. And then we have a king of a nation. His name is King Herod. And these two people had the same unexpected gift at the same time, but their responses were totally different. And it is their responses today that give us insight into how we should relate in our relationship with Jesus Christ ourselves. And so let's just quickly look at at, at these people. So the first character were the wise men or the magi. My Bible here says wise men, uh, but in the original Greek it translated as magi. And there have been many questions over the years about these mysterious men. In school plays, they're pictured as three kings and with some like crazy crowns and some like capes and things like that. Uh, some people think that they were wise philosophers from the East. But when we look and, and we delve deep into who these people really are, and there's not many clues about who they are, but there are a few. It's amazing to see exactly who are the people that God reaches out to. And so these people, the Bible says that they were travelers from the eastern lands. Now when the Bible talks about eastern lands, and I'm just going to talk about a few facts and lay some foundations, so just bear with me for a moment. But when the, when the Bible talks about eastern lands, they're not talking about China, or they're not talking about, I don't know, Australia or the Philippines. They're actually talking about just the land directly east of Israel or east of Jerusalem. And there were two major kingdoms or nations east of Jerusalem or east, east of Israel. And one was the Persian Empire and one was the Babylonian Empire. And we really don't know exactly where these men came from. It could have been Persia. It could have been Babylon. And like, just to put it in perspective, Persia is like now modern day Iran. And then Babylon is like modern day Iraq. So that's kind of... You know, in the geography, if you guys are any good at geography, I know if I said that to my wife, she'd be like, what, South America, you know? And uh, she has no idea. But that's kind of where where they were. And so the Bible says that they had traveled from the east. Now what we know about the east, the people in the east did not worship the God of Israel. See, the Messiah was supposed to come to be a savior for Israel. And the people of Israel, for the people of the Jews. And these people who traveled to see Jesus were definitely not Jews. 
Also, we know that they definitely were not people who worshipped the God of Israel or some known as Jehovah. They were not people who worshipped them. But yet, we see that God reached out to people who did not worship Him, who were not known as His people, and they did not even live in the vicinity of where His people lived. They lived in a distant land, but yet God reached out to them, and somehow they heard about the Messiah being born, and they came and they had a life-changing experience with Jesus Christ, the Messiah. You know, we're not exactly sure too much about the Magi. But the Magi, from history anyway, we get a lot more accounts from history than we do from the Bible. But in history, Magi is basically the plural for the word mag. Go figure, you know. Magi is the plural for mag. So basically, Magi meant there were more than one. And I guarantee there was probably more than three who came and saw Jesus as well. But don't tell the kids, they'll get upset. And so Mag was, 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 was actually who they are. And what Mag was, or the Mag, the Mag were actually priests of an ancient religious caste. And I'm going to try and pronounce this to you. So if I get it wrong, well, you probably may not even know. So. But the caste was a caste called... Zoro as in Razism, something like that. It's pretty tough. It's like a tongue twister. Say that when you had like a mouthful of chocolate or something. But that's where, the, that's, where, that's where they were from. And basically these priests, they were basically people who studied the stars. They studied science. They studied ancient healing powers and ancient healing methods. And that some of them were even involved in sorcery. And... We actually get our word magic originally from magi. Well, that's what some people say. Um, You may disagree, but that's what a lot of people say. And so these people were not Jewish. They did not practice Jewish things. In fact, if you had seen these people today, you'd have been like, wow, those people, they are part of a crazy religion. You probably wouldn't even call it a cult today because of some of the stuff that they were involved in. And the first time in the Bible that we hear about the Magi is in the book of Jeremiah. And in Jeremiah chapter 35 and verse 3, it says this. It says, All the officers of the Babylonian army, and this this is when Babylon came and, uh, and they came and attacked Jerusalem, and they took a bunch of exiles from Jerusalem back to Babylon. They basically overran the place. And the Bible says that all the officers of the Babylonian army came in and sat at the triumph gate, uh, at the, uh, in triumph at the middle gate. Nergal Shaziah of Shamgar and, Neb- and Nebo Sashikim, um, a chief officer, and Nurgle, Shaziah, the king's advisor, and all the other officers were there. Nurgle Shaziah, the king's advisor, is also known as Nurgle Shaziah, the mag. He was also known as the king's advisor. This man, he was a magi, and he had a prominent place 
in the kingdom of Babylon. He was even there when they attacked Israel and they attacked the Jews. These people were not Jewish people. They did not believe in Jewish customs. They did not even believe in the God of the Jewish people. And then we see again the second time and the final time in the Old Testament that these Magi are mentioned is in the book of Daniel. And in the book of Daniel, verse 2 and 48, it says this. It says, the king appointed David to a, I'm sorry, the king appointed Daniel to a high position and gave him many valuable gifts. He made Daniel ruler over the whole province of Babylon, as well as the chief over all his wise men, or in other translations, over all the priests. Of Mag. These priests were prominent in the, in the nation of Babylon. And not only were they prominent, but they had a prominent position. They advised the king. They were wealthy men. They were knowledgeable men. They had everything going for them. And the next time we hear about these, these mysterious magi, is now they're following a star. We're not sure where they knew about Jesus from. Because the Bible says that they said that they saw the star rising in the east and they knew it was the star of the Messiah, the King of the Jews. We're not sure if Daniel may have, may have told them about the, 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 uh, the Messiah and the prophecies of the Messiah. We're not sure if, if they had had an encounter with God themselves. We don't know. But all we know is that these people were a long way from God and from God's presence and from the people of God. But yet God reached down and he reached out to them in a way that they could understand. You see, God came and he brought a star. These people, they studied the stars. They knew the stars. They knew if there was a star out of place. They knew if there was a bright star that was shining that shouldn't be there. They knew that that star was interesting. And one night, they were looking up the stars, and they were looking at Leo, and they were looking at Orion, and they were looking at, at, at uh, Aquarius, and they were looking at all these different stars in the, in, the, in, the, in the sky, and suddenly they see a star they did not recognize. And these people saw something in this star, and they said, we must seek out what the meaning behind this star is. The Bible isn't specific about how long these people traveled. A lot of historians say that the Magi traveled for almost two years searching for the meaning of this star. But all we know is that these people, they were wealthy. They had a lot of knowledge. They had a prominent position. But there was something in them that made them wanting to search and seek out what the meaning of this star is. And I believe this is the way that God reaches out to people. God doesn't reach out just to people when they come into church. Or he doesn't reach out to people when they just meet someone who's a Christian. Or they just read, read their Bible. I believe that God reaches out to people right in the place, right where they're at. In a way that they will understand. And these people understood stars. And God reached out to them in those places. And so these magi followed this star. And I believe so many of us, we've encountered God in ways that we would understand. Think about the first time that you may have met God or had an encounter with God. It may have been through a, a situation in your life that wasn't good. 
but it made you stand up and take notice. It may have been through... Uh, it may have been through a book or it may have been through a TV program or it may have been through somebody that you knew that you respected. It may have been through a way that you would understand. And that is how God reaches people in ways that they can understand. God is not so above us that, that we just can't understand Him. But God comes down and reaches us in ways that we will understand. These men were searching for something. And suddenly they found him. And so often God reaches us in places when we're not even, or he seeks us out in places that we're not even seeking him. But he seeks us. And that's what he did with this magi. So these magi, they came, and their reaction when they meet Jesus is incredible. Think these are wealthy men who have a lot of knowledge. They're in a prominent position In their nation. But yet they come and they meet a baby. Who is either a newborn or he's under two years old anyway. And suddenly these magi. Who are supposed to know everything there is to about life. They advise the king. They got on their knees. And they bow down. And they worshipped this baby. See whether you meet the baby Jesus. Or you meet a resurrected Jesus. You have the same impact. You can't help but bow down and worship him. And these magi, they came and they brought gifts. They brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And you're like, well, I know what gold is. I haven't got a clue what frankincense is. And myrrh, that's just like freaky. Well, this is what they brought. They brought gold. And in ancient Israel and in in, in the ancient nations at the time, gold had one significance. Gold was a gift that you gave to a king. You didn't give gold to anybody else. So all you ladies who've got your gold rings with your nice big diamond on there, you know, if you'd lived back there, you wouldn't have got that because gold is only for a king. When these magi brought this gold, they, said, they were saying to Jesus, you are the king. You are the king. Then they came and brought frankincense. And frankincense had one purpose. It was a peace offering. And a lot of the priests used to swing it in peace. And they came to Jesus with frankincense. And they said, we are coming in peace. Or to make peace. Make peace with God. And then myrrh. Myrrh is a funny one. Myrrh in the ancient world was used for one reason. Myrrh was used... To anoint and bind up dead bodies. Myrrh spoke of death. And I believe that these wise men, these magi came and they brought myrrh for two reasons. They may have been, they may have realized that this baby was going to die one day. But I think it may have been for another reason. I think maybe they brought this myrrh to say, we are dying to ourselves. And we are living to this new king. So these were people who didn't even know God. But yet, through God reaching them in a star, suddenly they died to themselves. They gave up, you know, they didn't have to give up their, all their lives and their positions and their wealth, but they gave up their place. And they said, this baby is the king. I'm coming in peace. And I'm dying to myself and living to this baby. 
there was a second character. His name was Herod. Herod, if you look at the school plays, Herod's like this evil man and like, you know, no one likes him and he goes around like a tyrant and does what he wants. In fact, history goes down to say that Herod was one of the most successful kings in the region. Herod was appointed king in about 37 BC. And he was appointed king by the Roman Empire to look after this region called Judea. And in fact, when Herod was king, the economy was booming. Lots of people were doing well for themselves. The borders of Judea were actually expanding, and so the nation was growing, and everything was going well. People prospered. People liked Herod. Things were going well. The Romans didn't interfere too much. And there was peace in the region. But yet, this man Herod hears of a baby being born who is called Jesus, the king of the Jews. And suddenly, he goes from being a nice king to being a nasty king. You see, Jesus can only give you two responses. One response is just like the kings, like the magi. They came, they worshipped him, they realized who Jesus was. The other response is like King Herod. King Herod was insulted by Jesus. And the reason for this is because he saw Jesus as a threat to his life. King Herod had worked his way up in life. He had made himself who he was. He was, he was the man. He had become wealthy. He had made good decisions. He had built up this nation And he was so proud of what he had done. And he knew if there was another king in the same region, then he could lose it all. And how would you feel if you went to work tomorrow morning and suddenly your bosses hired someone who is better than you, more qualified than you, to do exactly the same position as you? You would go in and you would feel pretty miffed, I bet. You would be wondering, is my job on the line? Why have they done this? This is exactly how Herod felt. He felt, if there's a new king, we can't have this because he's going to take away everything that I've worked for in my life. And so what Herod did, Herod rejected who Jesus was. See, the presence of Jesus, even in a baby, was too much for Jesus. I mean, for Herod. Jesus hadn't said anything at this time. Jesus hadn't. He hadn't made any teachings. He hadn't done any miracles. He hadn't upset anybody at this time. But yet, just the very presence of Jesus insulted this man, Herod. And for the first time, we see a negative reaction to Jesus. We see the Magi who surrendered to Jesus. We see Herod who resisted Jesus. And the thought of losing everything for Herod was unbearable. So out of selfishness, he started making wrong decisions, unwise decisions. Out of his selfishness, his family was destroyed and many lives were destroyed. And there was anguish and there was pain through Jerusalem. He made a a law to go and slay all the boys in Jerusalem under the age of two. And there wasn't a whole lot of boys. It was only a little town. There was probably about 15 to 20 boys, but still... He destroyed 20 families. Herod also started making some unwise choices in his own life. The more he resisted Jesus, the more he got paranoid. 
And that history tells us that three of his sons were executed by himself, by Herod, because he was scared that they were going to take his throne. And then he started hearing whispers that his wife was betraying him. And so he had his wife put to death. And then the anguish of putting his wife to death led him to live in a crazy life. And then suddenly he started taking on wife after wife after wife, trying to find fulfillment in life. And it all started because he rejected Jesus. I wonder what Herod's life would have been like if he had never rejected Jesus. If he had been like the Magi and just come and bowed down and worshipped him. I'm sure it would have been different. You know, as Jesus grew older, started teaching parables. And a man came to him one day, and it's found in Luke chapter 18. In verse 18, it says, One, once a religious leader asked Jesus this question, Good teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not commit adultery. You must not murder. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. Honor your father and mother. The man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. When Jesus heard his answer, he says, there is still one thing you haven't done. Sell all your possessions. Give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. When the man heard this, he became very sad for he was very This man would not, this young religious leader, would not give everything up for Jesus. He had earned a good living. He had accumulated stuff. And he was unwilling to give up what he had worked for. Herod had exactly the same response to Jesus. I'm not going to give up for somebody else. I've worked for this my life. I'm not going to give up. But yet Jesus requires us to do one thing. Jesus requires us to lay down our lives and follow him. He told the disciples, he says, you are to daily pick up your cross, die to yourself, and follow me. And Herod refused to do it. He kept his kingdom until he died. But yet, he lost his family, he lost his friends, he lost his sanity. He became a very miserable man. But yet, these magi, who didn't even know God, they didn't even know the God of Israel, they didn't even know much about the Messiah, but they just came face to face with Jesus, and suddenly their lives were transformed, their lives were changed, and they bowed down, and they worshipped him, and they proclaimed him as the King of of all. And so today I ask, what is your response to Jesus? I'm not asking if you're a Christian or not, but the everyday occurrence when God comes into your lives and He says, will you follow me on a daily basis? Lay down your lives and follow me. What is your response to Him? There's some days I feel like the Magi. I'm like, yeah. I'll praise God. 
I'll worship and I'll lay down my lives. But there are days when I feel like Herod. I'm like, God, you really want me to give this up for you. I've worked so hard for this. I've worked so hard to get out of debt. I've worked so hard to, to, to feed my family. I've worked so hard to, to make these friendships. I've worked so hard in this job. And now you're asking me to give it up to come and follow you. But yet, that's what he's asking. That is what living a life for Jesus is all about. And this baby came in a little manger. He came unexpected. And today, he's coming into your lives, unexpected. He doesn't announce when he comes. He just comes unexpected. But when he comes, he requires a response. And the response is, yeah, I'm going to follow you all the days of my life. I'm going to bow down. I'm going to proclaim that you are king. I'm going to make peace with you. And I'm going to die to myself. Or we can say, I want nothing of this Jesus. I know which one I would choose. And you may have been in church a long time. You may have been going to church and being a Christian for a long time. You know, Herod was actually a practicing Jew. He knew about the Messiah. He knew the laws of Moses. He knew of all the prophecies. But yet, When it came to the point of meeting Jesus, he just couldn't quite give everything. Give his whole life. But Christ demands everything. And so this Christmas time, this week, you're probably going to go and have fun and, and open presents and, you know, go into those crazy stores and, you know, get frustrated and cut people off in traffic and then eat a lot and, and things like that. And you're going to have fun. But just in this moment, I want us to think, what does Christ really mean to you? Is it just somebody that you worship because you're an American? And that's what we do as Americans. We come to church on Sunday. Or is it somebody who has changed your life and you are willing to lay down everything for him? Let's pray. God, I thank you this morning for who you are. And sometimes, God, your message is is so tough to follow. But Lord, I pray today for every one of us that we will have the heart and the perspective of the Magi. No matter what we've gained in life, no matter where our life has taken us, we realize that our lives are just in the palm of your hand. That you are the king of the universe. That you are the one who put the stars into space. You are the one who orchestrated our whole lives. You are the one who orders our steps and guides our paths. And God, today I pray that we will have the heart and we will know to be like the Magi and just worship you and surrender to you. God, there are days when we feel like Herod where we just want to be, we want it to be all about us where we don't want to give up, where what we've earned or what we've, we've gained, we don't want to lose out. And God, we pray today that you will help us in those days. You will help us, God, when we feel like Herod, 
God, you will help us to get perspective once again and realize that you are not just a child in a manger. You are not just a good man. You are not just a prophet who came to this world. But you are the Savior of our lives. The one who has changed us. The one who can bring joy, hope, peace, and love. So God, today, I pray that you will help us at this Christmas time to see you for who you really are so that we can live our lives in a way that you have created us to live. And that is to worship you and to lay our lives down for you. We ask in your name. Amen.